Quacks Match. Now, let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. KWVA Studios for night tonight's edition of Quacks Match. I'm Lily Crane here with Ryan Oppenheimer and Gavin Carpenter. How are you guys today? You know, this is my my second show in two weeks. I'm 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 ramping up the pace a little bit, and uh, I'm enjoying it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been doing great. Honestly, school's been going great. Everything, <coughs> a little bit of an adjustment this term because I'm taking a lot more uh, difficult classes. But honestly, this is the first term where I've really gotten just used to being in college as a freshman. It's been honestly a great experience, just getting adjusted and feeling actually like I'm in college now as opposed to high school plus, which is almost what last term felt like. And it's a Monday night edition of Quack Smack. We got a good show today for you all listening. Later, well, we're going to get ready and talk some women's women's and men's organs basketball. But later, we'll be joined by lacrosse starters Lexi Likens and Rachel Palo. And then later on, at the back end of the show, uh, we'll talk some organ softball as well. But... Why don't we just go ahead and get into it? Monday, Monday, starting out the week strong and over the weekend, just had a few games, a couple women's basketball games at home and Norgan men's basketball, heading over down the down just down the road and down to Corvallis, playing its rivals, Oregon State. And that game ended up being a 60 to 59 victory for the Ducks against the Beat against the Beavers down in Corvallis, and Envale Dante had a dunk in the final seconds to win the game. Shocked the Beavers fans. It's been a few straight wins for the Ducks down in Corvallis. A few straight years now, kind of in tightly contested games. Let's start with just overall takeaways from Saturday's game. Yeah, and I was in Corvallis, and... All credit to the Beavers hands. That is a great atmosphere in Gill Coliseum in Corvallis there. And even coming in as not necessarily one of the best teams in the Pac-12, in fact, dead last in terms of the Pac-12 conference standings the Beavers were coming into that game, they were still able to put up a very strong fight. And that atmosphere for the Ducks to go on the road, last rivalry game in the Pac-12 in Gill Coliseum, even though a lot of, from what I have been hearing from a lot of different people, those games had not been packed for other teams the Beavers really did pack Gill Coliseum for that game against the Ducks. And realistically, not the best performance for the Ducks. Of course, that advan- that home court advantage for the Beavers can get to you very loud inside that Coliseum. But realistically, the only reason the Ducks were in that game as well as they were and competing as well as they were, because it felt like they were about to go behind for the majority of that game. Usually you see with the Ducks, they'll jump out to that early lead, take their foot off the gas a little bit, and then their opponents will catch back up in those situations where they're playing a team that's in the quad four or quad three below where the Ducks would normally be having strong opponents or having those strong games. But the Beavers, credit all credit to them, were able to stick around in that game for a very long time, come back from that rally about nine points down, rally up to being tied until that long series with finishing with that Dante dunk because the Ducks were so poor at three-point shooting during that game. Now, the Ducks, between a combination of defense and just pure luck, the Beavers managed to shoot around 6% from three, being even worse than the Ducks, but the Ducks really only shot about 2 for 17 in that game. And when this is a team that came in with aspirations of March Madness, 
coming off that NIT season last year, not what they were looking for. For the majority of this season, they've been in that popped into that conversation, trying to stick around now, even though that crushing loss to Washington State, not necessarily the best. But this is a team that's still trying and still thinks that they have a shot to make March Madness. And when you're looking at a team like Oregon State, that is not a game where you win on a dunk near buzzer beater by two points. That's not the type of game that you need to have against an Oregon State team. That's not the type of shooting performance you want to have from three against an Oregon State team. And when you look at the games that they're going to need to win down the road in order to try and make that March Madness appearance, they cannot, under any circumstances, play in a similar way than they did in Corvallis. Yeah, well, a win is a win, and uh, a two-point win is, is an ideal. Um, and I, I, I was there for the Washington State loss, and you know I, I walked away feeling like there might be a bit of a gap between the, between the Ducks and some of the teams in the bubble for, you know, serious contenders to make the tournament at large and you know they in Corvallis the Ducks led for pretty much the entire game but it was bad shot selection I felt like that kept the Beavers within reach um you know neither team shot well from outside as you just mentioned but it felt like down the stretch the Beavers adjusted better and they were taking they were getting some quality looks inside, which the the Ducks were not getting. And you know, the you know th- the Ducks guards kind of have a tendency to play outside of the system when things get tough. Uh, I think Jackson Shellsad is still learning how to play within the system at times. Uh, too many off balance threes, contested floaters, and um. They they struggled to cut create good looks early in the shot clock. Um, obviously, they finally got a good look on the dump off to Dante for the win, but that needs to happen earlier in the game. Uh, it needs to happen throughout the entire second half, and it did not. Um, yeah, um, you can never get Dante to enough touches down low. Uh, he scored 22, but I think he could score even more if the guards looked for him every trip down the court, which... Sometimes I feel like they don't. And that final play with the two offensive rebounds just and finally ending up with that and Folly Dante dunk really felt like just a microcosm of what that game was, the entire length of the game. It just felt like not great shot selection, lucky rebound, not great shot selection, decent rebound, finally finding that open pass to Dante and being able to get that opportunity. But I 100% agree with your point about shot selection. They just especially when they get out of that system, they almost start to, and this is, you see this a lot with guard-heavy offenses, and especially younger ones like the Ducks are, a lot of times you'll see those guards will just block out everything going on around them and just try to play, I have the ball, I know I can make that play, I'm going to go try and make it. And sometimes when that happens, you start to lose a big part of the offense, and especially one of the great things about this offense earlier in the season when they had that long run heading uh, into early conference games they knew how to pass the ball and find space for each other. and But when in this type of situation, when you kind of block out what's going on around you and you just go in and say, I can make that play, I'm going to go do it, all of that fades away, and that kind of incredibly limits an offense that is incredibly potent with the guard play when you're just focusing, when each player is just focusing on what can I do with the ball right now. And, I mean, we're, we talk a little bit about Dante and, and Jackson Shellstad. Ryan, you, you, you mentioned him a little bit. 
Those two, along with uh, Jermaine Cousinard, were all in double-digit scoring in that game. Dante had 22, Shellstad had 15, Cousinard had 13, but the Oregon bench did not score at all. How concerning is that for you guys? Pretty concerning as far as, I mean, it's hard, like I said, take this, taking this game as a single example of how the Ducks have been playing is not necessarily the great, it's not, from a sample size perspective, it's not the best example, considering the environment, considering the rivalry, considering the fact that Oregon State has a tendency to do this. They went on a five-game losing streak, then beat Arizona, the number eight team in the country at the time, then went on another five-game losing streak. They're a bit of a weird team, so it's hard to use this game as an example, but for a team that has relied so much around depth and around using that bench, obviously a lot of injuries going on with both Nate Biddle probably being out for the season and Keyshawn Bartholomew definitely being out for the season recently, not to mention injuries at the beginning of the year. This is a team that relies heavily off of being able to move the ball around to a bunch of different players. Usually you'll see maybe four or even five ducks in double digits, usually somewhere around that 10 to 13 point range. So to me, as much as you can't take this game as an example, it is a little concerning that no one on the bench whatsoever scored a single point because usually that would not in order for that to happen from where the Ducks were, something needed to have changed a little bit, and that's not a signifier of anything good, especially with how this Ducks offense runs. Yeah, I think the Ducks are reeling from those injuries. Bartholomew was the guy who could take a little bit of the pressure off of Shellstad or Kuznard when they're having an off night, and, and Bartholomew was also a great playmaker, and I'm not sure they have that with Bartholomew gone. Um, I don't know if Jadrian Tracy, Brennan Rigsby, or Cario Oquendo can really run the offense at that same level when uh, Kuz or Jackson needs uh, needs some, some support. Um, and I think the big man rotation is depleted as well. You, you mentioned Nate Biddle probably being out for the season with an illness, um, and Folly Dante is going to have to continue to play these big, big minutes every single night. He's playing 35 or so consistently, and uh, yeah, what if he gets in foul trouble? Uh, backup center um, Mo Diawara, he scored one point in the month of February. Um, so can he become a more reliable backup center, or maybe Kwame Evans as a freshman, we'll have to kind of play out of position and, and step into that role. Um, the bench, uh, it's it just seems a little bit volatile right now as a whole. Yeah, and I guess kind of last question about men's basketball before we get a little bit into the women's. Ducks currently sitting third in Pac-12 right now, it seems. Most plausible way for them to make the NCAA tournament is probably by winning Pac-12 tournament. What do you guys think needs to happen for this team? Any improvements that need to be made to be made for them to make some noise in the Pac-12 tournament? I mean, realistically, at this point, you're looking. You're still trying to find. It almost feels like the team had found their identity once Dante came back, but it feels like after Keyshawn Bartholomew went out, especially Nate Biddle, almost you didn't see him as have an impact as much simply because he wasn't active for long enough almost but once Keyshawn Bartholomew came out that was a big guard that you then lost the ability to use this team kind of needs to refine its identity they've kind of 
not to use the word floundering as much, but they kind of need to lock back in a little bit and play because they had fundamentally this lineup is not that different from the lineup that they had earlier into the season when they were playing Michigan earlier into the season when they played USC and UCLA for the first time over winter break. That's the kind of team that they need to focus back in and lock back in on because even with these games against Washington State, even with the game against Arizona, you felt like they were kind of there. You felt like if they shot a little bit better and they played a little bit better defense, they might actually be able to really compete in these games. That team is still this team. Those are not two fundamentally different entities. This team is still a team that can compete against teams like Arizona, against teams in quad one, against trying to win that Pac-12 tournament. They just need to fo- kind of focus in a little bit. It's almost, that's the biggest thing for me, is it's almost, it's very difficult looking at the stats to say, oh, what needs to change? Because it feels like every game there's one slightly different problem from every other game. Oregon State game, it was the bench wasn't putting up points. It feels like it's just a mental thing. They just need to lock back in. They just need to remember that they are one of five players on the on the court at any one time, that their shot selection is not always the perfect shot selection, that they can look around and try and find passing lanes just as often as they can look and try to find those shots. Because realistically, basketball is a, game, is a mental game almost as much as it is a physical game. It's a game of focus. And if you don't have that focus, you can have the five best players in college basketball and they still won't be able to win games for you. I think... Um with with Enfali Dante playing as well as he is right now, I think the path to success for this team is looking for him every single trip down the court, like I mentioned before. Um I think he should be scoring twenty or so points per game, um, and he should be the centerpiece of the offense because he's the one playing the most consistently right now. He's the one playing the most efficiently. He's the one playing the hardest, putting his body on the line, diving for loose balls. Um and you know, Dana Altman has taken note of that, and uh, after the Washington State loss, he he actually he called out the rest of his team, saying like, everyone needs to play as hard as Dante does, and that's that's a big that's a big part of it. I I think um, the team needs to kind of play through Dante, look um, and play through him, and I guess channel his same intensity. And they've they've got some time to figure things out. They've got. A stretch against Stanford, California, and Oregon State coming up. Um, those are some opponents ranging from mid-tier Pac-12 teams to near the bottom. And that's a three-game stretch for them to work out the kinks, I guess, and prepare for a brutal final stretch against Arizona, Colorado, and Utah. Um, I think if they can handle business against the first three opponents um i i look and look for them to win at least one game in the final two uh you know that can instill a lot of confidence in in altman and the players and and the fans as well going to the pack going into the pac-12 tournament yeah and oregon now sitting at uh a record of uh just overall, Oregon men is at 17 and 8 overall, third in Pac-12 as mentioned. Coming up, have a couple of math, a couple of games in the Bay Area against Stanford and Cal. But let's just real quickly go over a little bit of women's basketball. So Oregon women's basketball 
played against USC and UCLA over the weekend, and UCLA was its ninth loss in a row, lost 88-51 to and then 74-55. to Just, are there, well, Ducks head to Washington to play UW and then Washington State next weekend, now on a lengthy losing streak, uh, playing the, a couple of schools that are also in the bottom quarter of Pac-12 Conference. And it will break a seven-game stretch of playing against top 25 opponents for the Ducks. Is there a win or two in the next weekend to kind of break this rough stretch? And just what needs to be done to do that? Uh I think so. Um, if they can beat Arizona, which they did earlier in the season, uh, while committing like 27 turnovers, and that was not their best night, they still managed to beat Arizona, um, then I think they can beat Washington, Washington State, and Cal. Um, at least one of those three. Um, probably their best chance to win is against Washington, which is next game. Uh, they just lost to Arizona State in four overtimes on Friday. That was a crazy one. Um, and and Arizona is is uh, you know near the bottom of the Pac-12, right right there with Oregon. So I'd look for that to be the the the, the best chance at winning. But there's definitely a lot a lot of work to be done. And this is the moment, really, when okay, the Ducks have had seven ranked games in a row. They're on a nine-game losing streak, but eight of those nine games were against ranked opponents. Most of those above the top 15. So, you come into these three games. You've got Washington, Washington State, and Cal. Two of those teams are teams that they absolutely can beat. Washington and Cal. Absolutely teams that they have every chance of beating. Washington State's a little bit iffy. They're a much stronger team. They're one of the most, despite the fact that they are, um, I believe, uh, ninth in the Pac-12 currently, the Pac-12 is so strong that ninth in the Pac-12 counts a lot more than fourth or third in some of the other major conferences at this point. So... Washington State's going to be a little bit interesting, especially on the road, but Washington and Cal are very much teams that they can beat. This is when you go and you say, okay, the Ducks have been through the gauntlet. They've had seven ranked games in a row. Some of those were close, some of those weren't. What lessons have they learned, and how can they apply those two teams who are not in the top 25? They have a chance against Washington, especially on the road, rivalry game. Big chance there to try and turn things around, especially because a lot of those closer losses and a lot of those losses that they looked better in were in the earlier half of that losing streak. Games against um, Utah and Colorado, the first stretch. Oregon State was an especially good game, 64-60 loss there, and the Ducks were in that for a lot of that game. game more games recently, USC and UCLA, especially that USC game, have not been pretty. So how do you turn that around? You've got to look at the box score and you've got to say, okay, there are more than five players on this team. We need to get the, every single player some touches. As much as we look at Grace Van Sluten and we look at Chance Gray and we look at Filipina Chan, we say, okay, these are our three stars. A lot of our players are coming, a lot of our points are coming from there. That's going to need to get moved around. You're going to need to see a lot more motion because when there's only three players on a court that can score points, everybody's going to, on defense, is going to swarm those three players and you're not going to see a lot of opportunities for them needs to be a lot more motion also especially for Washington you're going to want to look at defense the Ducks have been playing some great had been playing some great defense didn't see it a lot against uh, USC didn't see it a lot against Colorado 
in those two of those last four games that they lost. But they have been playing some great defense as of late, and they need to really step that up. That's going to be the key factor. The offense can be a little here or there, depending on who they're playing and how well that defense is playing on that night. The defense for Oregon has been very solid down the stretch, and they really need to step that up. And I think that's going to be the key to trying to get one of those three games and turn them into a winner, maybe even two of those three games. Yeah, and a couple big opportunities, just talking about long, kind of difficult stretch for the Ducks, and yeah, definitely a, a couple of programs that they are games on the road for Oregon, but like you mentioned, Gavin, it's a team that played better against some top 25, top 15 ranked teams, kind of especially in the beginning of the losing streak, and Pac-12, arguably the best conference in women's basketball right now, just really strong, and now get a break for a couple of games, but only four left on the schedule, trying to finish out the season, getting a, at least a win, uh, maybe a couple next weekend. Well, that'll do it for this section on Oregon men's and women's basketball. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back here on 88.1. I'm Lily Crane, joined by Ryan Oppenheimer, Gavin Carpenter. Don't go anywhere. Rachel Paolo and Lexi Likens coming up next. KWVA. 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 Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We go through safety training and try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you prevent wildfires. Dude, I've got this. I've been camping since I was five years old. But I am a camping influencer. You know what? I'll bet you five bucks. Assistant Smokey, what is the best way to put out a campfire? To put out a campfire, drown with water, stir, drown again. Then make sure the fire is out cold by feeling with the back of your hand. Wait, really? I'll take the five bucks. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ag Council. Students, when I call the reason for your absences throughout the years, please exit the auditorium without your high school diploma. <clears throat> Too tired? Family trip? Sick day? Starting the holidays early. Starting in the sixth grade, students who miss 18 days or more of school in a year for any reason will fall behind and risk not graduating high school. How many days of school has your child missed this year? Absences add up. Keep track at boostattendance.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. Hey, this is Joey McMurray, broadcaster for the Oregon Sports Network and former KWVA sports director. But he's wearing Adidas pants. You can't do that. And you're listening to Quack Smack.
Welcome back to the Monday edition of Quack Smack. I'm Lily Crane. We just got done talking about Oregon men's and women's basketball on our show. Now, super excited to welcome a couple of starters from the Oregon women's lacrosse team. Let me introduce Rachel Palo, sophomore midfielder with four goals and 16 draw controls in the first two games, and Lexi Likens, fifth-year defender and one of the squad's six captains. Welcome, Rachel and Lexi. How are you both? Thank you so much for having us on the show. We are really, really excited and super grateful for this opportunity. Um, I'm really honored to be on this. I'm super honored as well and super excited to just chat with you all and just get to know you all as well. Yeah, and we're super to have you guys on here. This is an Oregon women's lacrosse program, 2-0 to start the season with wins against Youngstown State and St. Francis. In two games, the team outscored opponents 36-15. to And if you all listening, do the math, that's 21 goals. <laughs> um, and with the start, team has had uh, in these first couple of games, how has that kind of boosted your all's confidence? Or is this kind of just what you guys have come to expect from yourselves? Um, no, we are super excited with the way that season is uh, turning out right now. I think first having Drummond's first win as head coach um, two weeks ago, that past Friday, was just a super exciting feeling. I know from a lot of the fans in the stands, they just said everyone looked like they were just playing and having fun and being connected and playing together and seeing that as a captain and seeing all of the teammates being able to connect on the field and off the field and then being able to actually come out with a win in these games has been super incredible. Um, it's been a very exciting start to the season and we have a lot to look forward to. I completely agree with Lexi. The energy on our team has just been unbeatable recently, recently and it's super exciting to celebrate all that with our new coach and we're just super excited to keep working hard and keep pushing through the rest of the season. And, I mean, with this kind of start, talk a lot about confidence and just some uh, good performances that, uh, the, that the fans are really enjoying. Uh, kind of talking about that kind of confidence, Rachel, you broke the program record for draw controls in a single game with 11 on Friday. Can you just walk the listeners through kind of the emotions you felt uh, realizing that you owned the record? Yes, definitely. I'm super honored to hold that now, and I was super excited in the game and just to celebrate that win with all my teammates. I give it to the rest of the draw, con draw control team, and they all just put it perfectly for where I needed it, but the energy was crazy when I heard on the loudspeaker that I was tied. I was thinking, there's no way I'm going to be tied. I need to win this, and I need to keep going, so when Haley was taking that draw, we just communicated through it, and it turned out perfectly, and I was just so excited and just super excited to celebrate all that with my teammates because it's not just my win, it's the team's win as well. And Lexi, as a teammate in these first couple of games, I mean, you've seen Rachel get her record, and then uh, Anna Simmons had six goals in the last game uh, against St. Francis, and just a couple players getting their first goals, their first starts in college, and then also with this program. The, this team talks a lot about the value of pride and what has it been like being able to celebrate so many of these achievement, achievements together so early on? Um, it's been a truly incredible, um, amazing experience. 
as a, I've been on this team now for five years. Um, and so I've watched a lot of girls come and a lot of girls graduate. And so being the senior graduating this year, it's been just super incredible seeing people from freshman year to now senior year, some of our sophomores stepping up big time this year. I mean, they, they stepped up huge last year as well, but just seeing them come out of their shells and do great things on the field is just amazing. Seeing a lot of people who are coming onto the field for the first time and, again, doing amazing things, playing like they've been on the field 100 times before is just awesome. I think it shows a lot about um, the confidence that Drummond has instilled in all of us and a lot about, like, it shows a lot of the training that we've been doing and staying together and I think it, it's really finally coming out to play and it's, it's showing in stats and it's showing on the field and it's showing in our camaraderie. Yeah and I definitely think that's showing on the field. Uh, I think I know a little bit about your guys's uh, three kind of values of alpha pro- discipline and pride um, and for the listeners who maybe don't know what those are uh, would you guys I guess be able to describe kind of what those mean to this squad and just the season overall and why you chose them as well? Yeah. So we met as a team before season started and we all met in our small group. We call them flocks. Um, and as flocks, we all wrote down three words that we wanted this season to represent. And those were the three words as a team that it got slimmed down to. Um, and we came up with definitions as a team for what those mean. So for pride, um, that's carrying yourself and being grateful for the opportunity that we have to wear an O on our chest and step on the field and play every day. Um, and also just being prideful of yourself off the field as well. So carrying yourself in the classroom and doing what you can to be the best version of yourself. Um, and then alpha is a mindset mentality of being the, like knowing that you are the best person for the job on the field. So going out there with that confidence piece that no one can beat you um, and being able to carry that with you all over the field. And then lastly, we had discipline, which is um, the general character idea that um, we will be accountable. We will be responsible. We will do everything that we can to get the little things in order so that it, it can carry our performance to the next level. And uh, those values also used to determine captains of this team. Uh, Lexi, for you, what was it like hearing that you were named one of those six? And uh, just also curious to hear hear how you've evolved as a leader during your career with the Ducks. Yeah, um, I was first named a captain my junior year on the team. Um, And again, as a senior and for those years, we've only ever had three captains. And so being named a captain with these five other girls was just completely an utterly amazing feeling. I know that those five girls deserve that more than anything. They are truly pillars of what this team stands for. Um, and being able to have those girls by my side to lead everyone has been just an honor. Um, I learned so much from every single one of my teammates. Um, and those girls especially holding me to a higher standard so I can be the best leader that I can be on and off the field. Uh, yeah, and I'm also just kind of wondering, I guess, if, if if it's any different between your junior and senior season, like both times, 
being named a captain, if, if that was if that feeling was any different for you or if it was if it's just kind of exciting, just as exciting each time. No, it's definitely just as excited, <laughs> exciting every time. Um, I think it's always it's always a revo and it's always a, a new opportunity for me to step up and be a better version of myself. I'm I'm not gonna be any good if I'm as good as I was last year. I always have to keep improving and keep growing. And so I think being named a captain um, consecutive years has just allowed me to see that like I am doing something with my leadership on and off the field for the year that people um, are electing me again to be a captain. I think it's showing that like I am truly here to put in the work and change this program. And I think that's just a small kind of tangible reward for me. And I think that is a super awesome feeling. I also want to ask you guys, just talking about leadership, obviously this team faced a big change in the coaching staff in the offseason, and just either of you guys feel free to answer this, but what has that adjustment been like, uh, kind of adapting to a new staff, and, and what's it like playing uh, for a head coach who uh, is an alumni of this program? I think one of the coolest parts is that Drummond is an alumni for the program and she just has so much pride in the Oregon community and in our team as well. Her best interest is for all of us to pursue at our, or perform at our highest level. And I think it's so cool being able to perform at that level and make mom proud while doing it. And I think the environment of our team has just drastically changed because we are so proud of that and we want to make our coaches proud. And it's just such a cool dynamic this year with the energy and how willing to work hard we are and just that we know that the end goal is to like win Pac-12s and pursue even further than that as well, which is just such a cool experience and so cool to walk alongside of all my teammates with that as well as the coaches. Yeah, and I would just say um, for Coach Stacey, she just came um, from Vermont as a defender. And so for me as a defender, having someone who's played the exact position, she gives this the best coaching advice and the best like instructional tips for us that she's been in our shoes and she knows exactly what we need to be doing. And so having that relatable level with her has been just a drastic change for our defensive unit. And then again, for having an attacking coach that's on an Olympic national team is just a crazy accolade. And it's so, so impressive and something that we all look up to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and Heard, I heard a little bit about your guys' uh, trip over the summer uh, to Europe, which was shortly after the hiring. And what was, what was that experience like in terms of building chemistry, both with new coaches and uh, n- just new players, new faces coming into the, the squad? So at the time, Drummond was still the only coach that was hired, but it was super cool to be able to meet her in that sort of circumstance because we were able to get her, get to know her as a person rather than just as a coach. So the relational development of that was super cool and super awesome. And just learning to know like what her heart is like and how she just always wants us to do the best and she cares for us so much was just so cool to see and especially so cool to play under her in Portugal and just play against Team England, which was such a cool experience. And it definitely deepened the relationships between all of my teammates and myself. Yeah, and, and when you guys were there, obviously, 
playing in some games? Kind of how was that? And then also, I mean, going to different places. I don't know if anyone the on the squad or if if that's kind of first time going to to Europe or some of those places. What what's that like as a team? Just getting to go over there together and have kind of that shared experience. It was super awesome. It was my first time ever traveling to Europe, and I just love that I got to experience that with all of my teammates. It's so cool because even today at practice, I was like, this is so surreal. Like, just a few months back, we were all in Europe together, which I feel like is very rare that you get to say that. And, like, I traveled to Europe with 35 of my best friends, which is so cool to say. And especially just playing in Europe, it was in Portugal where we were driving through like these random fields and hills. And then all of a sudden this field just popped up and that's where we were, we were able to play, which is just so cool. And I'll never get to experience anything like that ever again. Yeah, that's quite a big uh, <laughs> roster. It seems like to, to travel with definitely sounds interesting and kind of I guess even from there and last season to where you are and you guys are now a couple games in uh, for either of you just how has this team improved uh, and also how have you both improved uh, individually in in the past kind of months? Um, I would say as a team we've improved in every aspect of our game. Um, I know as a draw team, we have just taken it up so many notches, and it's so evident. Um, and having that trust and faith in our draw team to get the the draw started and get us down the goal has been amazing. Um, as a defensive unit, it's been a great change. Again, like I said, with Coach Cece um, backing us up, helping us, um, getting us to where we need to be, it's been extremely um, instructive, and it's been a great change, and it's been a great opportunity for us to learn a lot new, a lot of new things um and i think attacking wise everyone is just playing a lot more fluidly and playing a lot like more connected i would say we have a lot of points in every single game we, that means like we have so many different scores and assisters with that which rachel can touch on more with her position but um yeah i would just say from an individual standpoint um i've definitely got to change in the way i've played in terms of kind of being able to get a little bit more aggressive and being able to check a little bit more and use my size to my advantage, um, which I've felt constricted for in the past. And I think it's a great opportunity for me to show a new part of my game. Yeah, I completely agree with Lexi. I think the cool part about my position is that I get to see both aspects of the field. So I'm playing both defense and attack, which is super cool because I get to see the changes that are made on defense as well as the changes that are made on attack. And like Lexi was saying, just our attack is just working together so well, and we're excited to keep working hard and keep finding that connection among every single game and just keep pursuing and keep having different contributors. Because I know even in the past game, a lot of different people stepped up, and that was super cool to see and super cool to see that people are scoring goals who haven't in the past, which is just so awesome and just such a tribute to what the coaches are doing for our team. Well. Just about done with the segment, but kind of last couple questions before I let you two go. Um, talking about kind of your evolution and improvement recently, but I, I want to hear a little bit more about kind of what this team's goals is uh, rest of the season. I know you, you both talked a little bit 
touched a little bit on kind of Pac-12 and, and, and your confidence as you, you enter the conference season and all, but just general go goals and, and how far uh, can, can we expect this team to, to go or how far do you guys believe you can go? Uh, we're going to win Pac-12. That is the goal <laughs> that we've set this season, and I'm five years in the making on this team, and this is it. This is the year. This is the year of the duck. We are, we are ready to win, um, and we are setting ourselves up for success early in the season, um, and we're not going to back down. We continue to push that level, and we'll continue to push it until we get to our goal. Um, and I know that all 36 of us, all the staff, everyone believes in us, and everyone has given us the tools and the resources and the support that we need to get there. And so we've got to implement that, and we've got to get to that goal. And is there individual goals for you both uh, the rest of the season between now and, and then? I would say for myself, just keep getting my draw control stats up. I think one of the goals of mine is <laughs> being one of the highest Pac-12 draw control people. So that's a goal of mine, but... I'm super excited to keep working hard and definitely looking at every single day as an opportunity to get better and not backing down from any challenges that I face. Lexi, do you have any either? Um, yeah, it's a bit hard on the defense, but um, I would say trying to um, get ground balls and cause turnovers in each game that I'm playing and hopefully leading in the pack with ground balls and cause turnovers. Okay, well... Everyone listening heard it here first. Watch for kind of those those draw controls and, and those ground balls. See if can get some more program records, only a couple in, but definitely be exciting. Just thank you yes. both so much for joining. It's been great, super fun having you on and, and just look forward to getting to watch you both play and watch this team play the rest of the season. Yeah, thank you again so much for this opportunity. And thank you all for tuning in. Yes, thank you so much. We're so grateful to be on this call and super excited for anything else to come. Well, again, thanks to Rachel Paolo, Lexi Likens. Oregon women's lacrosse plays in Eugene back at Pape Field on Sunday at 2 p.m. against Marist. Looking to go 3-0 on the season. We'll have that here on 88.1 with myself and Liam Baker on the call. We're going to head to another break here on KWVA. But when we come back, we'll get into some Oregon softball. KWVA. KWVA. Hey, it's Mike Rowe, and I've got gas. Natural gas, that is. It comes to me through a series of pipes buried in the ground. Pipes that all too often get damaged by people who dig before calling 811. This causes real problems for millions of Americans like me who rely on natural gas to heat their homes and cook their food, but it's even worse for the people who hit the gas lines. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to be one of those people. Just call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. 
Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. This is Neil Everett from SportsCenter. When I'm in Eugene, I listen to Quack Smack. And you better, too. KWVA Eugene 88.1 FM. Go Ducks, Quack! Welcome back to Monday Night Quack Smack. We just had Rachel Paolo and Lexi Likens on the show talk some Oregon men's and women's basketball earlier. Now we're going to shift gears a little bit for our final segment and talk about some Oregon softball. So Oregon softball was in San Diego last weekend playing in the Campbell-Cartier Classic in which it went 2-3. and three. Ducks dropped two games against Texas A&M and one against Loyola Marymount. So Despite coming into the season ranked number 13, Oregon is now 6-5 and five after two weeks. Here with Ryan Oppenheimer, Gavin Carpenter. Guys, what's, what's your level of concern right now uh, with this 6-5 and five start? Well, they shut out a quality San Diego State team, and that made me very happy. Um, I, I, think, I think that consistency is, is, a, is a bit of a concern. Um, at the start of the season, you know, a, a near 500 record. Uh, it hasn't been an ideal start. You know, they, they scored one total run in two games against their toughest opponent opponent of the Campbell-Cartier Classic, which was Texas A&M. Uh, they really didn't look very strong against them. Um, and errors, uh, just defensive miscues, they haven't necessarily been a – gigantic issue that's shown up every single game but they've been pretty damaging when they've happened and they've led to several runs and they've led to losses and uh the power in general uh at the plate has been lacking um that's a concern as well five total home runs in 11 games uh i think they're missing two stalwarts of the lineup from last year Tara McGowan and Ali Bunker now graduated. Um, but even with all that, I'm not terribly concerned. The talent, it's still there. Um, Oregon still has the foundation of a winning team. They've got consistent pitching. Uh, they've got an uh, incredible leadoff woman. Kai Lushar has been fantastic. We've, maybe we'll get into her uh, a little bit later. Um, and the hitters, they can catch fire at any moment. Um, so, overall, I think this is going to be one of the, the few rough patches of the season for the Oregon Ducks. I think it's going to get better from here. And I think when you look at the record and you see 6-5 and five for a team with as high of expectations as Oregon softball has, on the surface you might go, oh, that doesn't look like a great start. We should be concerned. But if you break down each one of these games you realize that at very minimum for every single bad loss that Oregon has had, they have also had a strong win to balance it out. 
And as much as you might look at that and say the offensive production has not been necessarily as consistent as you would like to see, every single game that they've lost to, especially in this most recent tournament, kind of has a bit of an, okay, but they were playing this team. Or, okay, for instance, Texas A&M. Both times, that is a team that was ranked inside the top 25 by quite a few different pollsters. They are 9-0 currently. They have not lost a game. As much as you would like to see the offensive uh, performance a little bit higher from the Ducks in both of those games, the pitching was still strong. The defense was, for the most part, still strong. Only six runs allowed in two games. And especially in that first game, neither of the two games really felt like A&M was just a different like a different level it felt like this just two games where the ducks just did not uh, the aggies just got the better of the ducks didn't quite get where they needed to be and it doesn't necessarily feel like the team was worse just that the team did not play as well that day and yes it happened twice but also when you look at a lot of those other games san diego state was a great example of the flip side that was a very strong win for the ducks and then even when you look at that Loyola Marymount loss, tournaments can be a little wacky where you're playing two games in this with a 30-minute break in between them. That was the case with that game. And I'm really not concerned about that loss because they came back the next day and they beat them 8 nothing. So even when you kind of see things that might make you want to say, uh, I don't know, that's a little bit concerning, there's still significantly more bright spots than there are concerns at this stage. And even those concerns can usually be written off based off of tournaments or neutral site games or very strong teams. And even when you have teams that are strong, like Clemson in the earlier tournament, that was still a 3-2 loss. That was a very strong performance from them. Strong performance against San, Di uh, San Diego State. Strong performance rebounding against Loyola Marymount. Even when there are those dark spots and even when there are those games that don't look necessarily as great as they maybe would be expected to be for a team of Oregon's caliber, there are still just as many bright spots and still just as many strong games that just fly under the radar because that's how high of expectations a lot of people have for this Oregon team. So a lot of those bright spots may go flying under the radar and really almost those are the things that you would want to look at in this situation. Yeah, and in the first couple of weeks, especially this uh, past weekend, a uh, big issue for this Ducks squad was, I mean, like you said, Gavin, it, it's not like they played completely bad. I mean, they, they, they were close in a lot of these games. I mean, the latest loss against Texas A&M, I mean, that was two runs that they lost by. And, but uh, the, the kryptonite there was just leaving runners stranded. They were able to out-hit the Aggies, but just – getting runners on base but can't capitalize off having them in scoring position. And I want to kind of go off what you were saying a little bit because back earlier in the show, we talked about Oregon women's basketball and something af in the press conference after the women's basketball game yesterday, Kelly Graves, head coach of Oregon women's basketball, was, was talking about, you know, their recent struggles, how – you know, they're the ones that really set the standard for themselves in these past 10 years with the level of play they had, you know, when they had these really top-ranked teams. And I think you can say the same thing about Oregon softball. I mean, making it to the Super Regional last season, um, which is the first of this they've gone uh, under head coach Melissa Lombardi. Um, and, and Ryan, you mentioned Ali Bunker and Tara McGowan two of Oregon's biggest stars 
maybe their two biggest stars on that team um, graduating in the offseason. With this, with this, with those two leaving, is this start kind of expected for a team that's facing such big roster change-ups, or is the expectation still to win and to win and and reach that standard? Um, The expectation is to win because this is a program that has consistently has has championship aspirations. You know that. That that was that was the conversation with with the Ducks last year. Obviously, they got bounced from the tournament, but uh, like Oregon, like or this is a softball school. Uh, we love our softball here, and the players. I think they carry themselves like a championship team. And uh, like I said, I think this is going to be one of the few rough patches. I think it's only up from here, and. That should be the expectation. The expectation should be to get where they got last year and potentially even further. Um, I think for that to happen, though, there's going to need to be a little bit more consistency all around. Um, K.K. Humphreys and Taya Bird, they've got more strikeouts than they do hits right now. Uh, Humphreys, especially cold, batting only 167 right now. That not, w- not what you want to see from a starting infielder. Um, and Paige Sinicki and Hannah Delgado, uh, they're getting on base fine, and overall the team is getting on base just fine. But like you said, they've been struggling to drive home runners, and both both Sinicki and Delgado only have one RBI each, despite their averages being just fine. Um, so they need to hit better with runnings, runners in scoring position. Emma Kauf, uh, the new catcher, transferred from Georgia Tech. She had an incredible career there. She's taken a while to adjust to her new home. She has played well on defense. She's thrown two base stealers out, uh, but it's taken a while for her to uh, for her to get shake off the rust on offense. Uh, Valerie Wong has been much more productive offensively than her, um, so it's going to be key for Kauf to get back to her Georgia Tech level of offensive production because she was definitely great. Um, Ariel Carlson, she's been one of the better players on this team. Um, so far overall but she didn't hit a home run in the Campbell Cartier Classic um, she she didn't do a whole lot and she's still on track for a career year she is the best player on this team but as the team's uh, the best offensive player on this team uh, might I say but as the team's main power threat I don't think the team can afford a cold stretch from her which is you know I think that was a big contributor to the losses um and yeah, uh, the pitching just needs to keep on doing what it's already doing. Uh, pitching has not been the problem at any point this season. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. Um, Kalf, especially for a player that averaged 344 over her career at Georgia Tech and 354 last year, averaging only 250 right now. That's a huge gap. That's a, That's 10%. That's not, oh, I'm adjusting a little bit. That's let's get a little bit almost a little bit of rust needs to get knocked off they've been doing uh the ducks have been doing something interesting by moving both valerie wong and emma kalf around between catcher and designated player maybe that needs to stop a little bit and maybe pick one or the other and 
let that lineup really adjust and get into that situation. I think also, going off of what you were talking about with the hitting better with runners in scoring position and runners on base, almost feels sometimes that the Ducks need to be, are almost performing an exercise in risk management sometimes. You see that a lot with teams that have a high number of strikeouts compared to hits, which is what the Ducks have right now, where every single player is going up to bat trying to hit the power shot, trying to hit the extra base hit that's going to score two runners. That's not necessarily what the Ducks are needing, especially when their defense is playing so well. Only one game out of those 11 games where a team where their opponents scored uh, five runs or more. So when the defense is playing that well, singles are fine. Singles and consistency is more important than power. Consistency is more important than extra base hits because if you can get four singles is just as good as two doubles. Frankly, it would be more good than two doubles. So realistically, any team with consistency in hitting is going to perform better than a team with power. And when you see a team with a lot of strikeouts compared to hits, like the Ducks have right now, they're trying to go for that extra base hit. They're trying to go for that power shot when I think maybe they need to tone it down a little, breathe a little, pick their shots, and be more consistent with their hitting. Yeah, and like you guys said, kind of lots of new faces in this roster. Emma Kauf, you know, several freshmen, players moving positions. Lots of adjustments to be have. Uh, for this Oregon squad might take a little bit of time for them to really find their groove and to get to where they were last year. Uh, so a couple losses, not surprising. But Oregon looking, Oregon softball looking to bounce back uh, this weekend. We'll play uh, UCF, Baylor, Notre Dame, Long Beach State, and Nebraska in the Cathedral, in Cathedral City in the Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic, which will be again Thursday, February 22nd. And you can tune into those games here on KWVA with our very own Knight Uretsky on the call. That'll do it for Monday edition of Quacksmack. We'll be back tomorrow from 6 to 7, talking some more sports. Lily Crane here. Thanks, Ryan Oppenheimer, Gavin Carpenter, and our producers in studio to in Torgrinson. Um, Thank you. Have a good night, everyone. Now we'll send it back to your regularly scheduled programming.